0: All right, well we are starting a series this morning called Unplugged and it's Real Relationships in a Digital World. Something I think most of us, or probably the reality is all of us can relate to and deal with. So the goal of this series is not a polemic against technology, or I'm not going to preach against using social media or anything like that. That would be like preaching against driving your car. It's a world that we live in now, and that's just the reality. In fact, kids who are 20 years old and younger are called digital natives. They're ones who were born in a world where the only thing they can really remember is the existence of a technology technology, d- devices, smartphones. Smartphones have only been around for 12 years, but it feels like they've been around forever. So so to some generation, they, they've grown up with it. It's always been available to them. So they're digital natives. The rest of us are not digital natives, but we have uh, adapted quite well to the world of technology and instant access to information and all of those things. So We're not preaching against those things because it's a reality of the life we live in, but what we want to talk about is in light of living in a digital world, how does being followers of Christ transform and change us? That's what we want to look at because the truth is that technology has changed things and some of it is really positive. I remember when Facebook was pretty new back in 2007. Uh, Our family got on it because we were living overseas and it was a great way to share what was going on with our family, with everyone else who was living here in the States. There's a lot of positive. I love Instagram. I love being able to document photos and take pictures of, do you guys remember when you used to go on vacation and take pictures and and forget to develop it for like six months before you got to look back and see what you did? And and so now we have instant access and there's a lot of positive to these things. Uh, The connection that we can have to other people is a great thing that we can connect with friends who've moved away and all of that. So, the reality though is there's some things about the digital world that we need to learn how to adapt and grow in. And so, how, as followers of Christ, does this affect us? In fact, we know that now, living in a digital world, we are more connected now than any time in history, yet we feel more isolated than any time in history. In fact, we found in a most recent study of 23 through 38 year olds, uh, over 20% of that age group admitted to not even having one real friendship in their lives. That's over 20% of our 23 to 38-year-olds say that they don't have one real friend in their lives. In a world that's very connected, yet we're still feeling quite isolated. And by the way, the second age group that is, could relate the most to that demographic and having the fewest amount of friends is the 50 and older age group. And some of that certainly probably has to do with life stage and things that are happening. You know, when you're in the family stage, you are surrounded by people a little too much sometimes. So we do know that there's the bookend, sometimes it's more challenging. But in a connected world, people are feeling more isolated. So what we want to do today is we want to talk about what are some of the things that prevent us from feeling connected. And today in particular, we're going to talk about authenticity and intimacy in our lives. It's something that we're created in an image of God. We're created as relational beings. We have this need to know and to be known. Yet in a world filled with filters, sometimes it's hard to be truly authentic. When we are able to project the image that we want people to see at all times, it starts to get in the way of real authenticity. In fact, I have one more video clip for you. Sometimes the filters look something like this. We laugh because it's true, is it (laughs) not? We can be on vacation in the most beautiful places, taking our photos, getting our poses, and, and we get instant, let me try that again, let me try that again, let me crop out my hair, let me get a different angle. And the truth is, it's just part of how we do things now, and part of that is okay. But when we live in a world where everything is edited, it can get in the way of true authenticity, and we start to forget what is real. And so today we want to answer the question, and the question is, how can we be authentic in a world of filters? How do we as followers of Christ learn to have authentic lives in a world filled with filters? So that's where we're going today, and uh, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 34. We're going to start there, but before we get there, join with me in prayer. God, we thank you so much again for this morning. I thank you again. for our last week with our kids camp and all the kids who are here and the many who gave their lives to you for the first time. And Lord, we're so grateful for the way you move. But this morning, God, we're asking that you'd speak to each one of us in here. Lord, There, are, we all have something we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We want to experience the freedom that comes from knowing you, to be set free and to fully understand who we are in you. So would you speak to us now and, and move in this place? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 34, which is the second book of the Bible. And then a little bit after that, we're going to the book of 2 Corinthians, which is in the New Testament. So if you want to find it in your Bibles or get it ready on your phones or smart devices, that is totally acceptable as well. We're going to read a story here today in Exodus chapter 34, starting in about verse 29, and this is a story where there is a filter of some sorts that we find in the the story, and we want to look at what gets in the way of our ability to be authentic with God and authentic with others, but before we get to that, let's look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. The context is this where Moses, who is uh, the one who led the Israelites out of slavery into Egypt, he's called by God, known as one of the greatest prophets in the nation of Israel. He is the one who received uh, the law, or we think of it as the Ten Commandments from God. And this is a story of where he was on this mountain called Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments from God and is bringing them down the mountain to the nation of Israel. And this is what happened in verse 29. When Moses was coming down Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, that's uh, the Ten Commandments, Moses did not know that the skin of his face was shining because he was speaking with the Lord. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin on his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. So what we have is Moses spent some time on top of the mountain, Being in the presence of God, he has, in Hebrew, this is the glory of the Lord was literally shining through Moses, and there's times when the glory of the Lord is this Shekinah glory, which means like this radiance or something that you saw, this physical appearance of what they saw at this case. In Moses, and the Hebrew, actually describes it as it's kind of almost like reflecting off, almost like a, in rays of sun, you could almost say. But it was some sort of symbolic of Moses was being transformed by being in the presence of God. When he came down and people saw his face literally shining or having some appearance, they were scared, which I think I'm with them if I saw someone coming down looking like that. But Moses called to the people and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation, and they returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had spoken to him in Mount Sinai. But when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he'd take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out, he spoke to the sons of Israel what they had been commanded. They would see the face of Moses, that his skin of Moses was shining. So Moses would then replace the veil over his face until he went back to speak with the Lord. So in the story here, we have Moses puts this veil, or you could say in some respects, a filter over his appearance when he would go to speak with, or after he had spoken with the Israelites. Now there's some debate about what was, why was he putting the veil on after he commanded the people everything that, were, uh, that he spoke to them. And there's, some would say that because uh, as he spoke to them, the longer time he went between going up to the Lord, the glory was fading away. We'll find that in Second Corinthians 3 where Paul says the glory was fading. Was he... Putting a veil over his face so that he could hide the fact that the glory was actually fading away. And so they weren't seeing like, oh, hey, that, what, what's wrong with you, Moses? Or was he putting the veil over his face so that they weren't uh, miscommunicated or distracted by this appearance that he had? Either way, what we find here is Moses is putting some sort of veil. He's not being, in our case of today, truly authentic of allowing them to fully see his appearance at this place. And part of it, we are find here, as Paul speaks about it in 2 Corinthians, is for the Israelites at this time, as they were seeing the law coming down, they're seeing Moses' face shining, it could be, and it appears to be, that they were mistaking what the law was related to. If we could only perform, if we could only behave, then that is what God wants from us. And if we do that, somehow we'll be transformed in our appearance, because he comes down with the law. So if only it's about this law, then our hearts will be transformed, or our lives will be transformed, our appearance will be transformed, if we can perform. And Moses, in a sense, is saying, no, you're you're mistaking that this is essentially, there's a physical, a spiritual veil over your lives, and you're mistaking the law for a relationship with God. His actual glory was shining because he was with the Lord, not because he had done anything. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and we'll see how Paul describes it. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 13. He says, We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. In other words, they weren't distracted at the appearance and how his appearance was fading away in this case. Because their minds were hardened before until this day, very day, the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because the veil is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lays over their hearts. In other words, he's talking about his people, the nation of Israel, and saying there's this other veil, there's this filter over their very hearts because they're looking at the law, which is a good thing. The law was never intended to be a negative thing. In fact, if we look at the Ten Commandments and people truly live this, out, this would be a good thing. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not lie. Do not uh, curse God. uh, Honor the Lord above all things instead of the little idols. Have Sabbath rest in your life. I mean, you can't really argue against this as being a good thing. And the law was meant to demonstrate the heart and character of God and remind us of our need for something greater than ourselves. But when the law became about what they did, a veil remained. It separated them actually from the very God they were trying to serve because it became about performance and performance. And, and Paul writes, even to this day, many people of his own people still had a veil over their hearts. And unfortunately, even to this day in the nation of Israel, with this rich history of faith, their veil remains among many, many, although more and more it's being lifted as they're coming to know Jesus. Jesus. But this veil is over the hearts when you think the law is the point. It's about how we perform and how we're perceived in God's eyes and in others by what we do. And so there's this this performance-based religion that Paul is speaking against. Now, I want to use this today to talk about this transactional relationship and actually relate it to our lives today. To talk about what are the filters in our lives. How can we live an unfiltered life with God in an unfiltered life with one another. To live the life that we were really created to have have with him and to have this veil or this filter removed in our spiritual lives. So that's what we want to look at today. And the first thing I want to address is what does it look like to have an unfiltered life with God? Because we can't get to what it looks like to have an unfiltered life with others and to ask for authenticity with others if we don't begin with having authenticity in our relationship with God. So, what does an unfiltered life with God look like? And it starts with this. And I believe the first thing is this: an unfiltered life with God is recognizing that we have nothing to hide, that there is nothing to hide in our relationship with God. To have a truly unfiltered, authentic relationship with God, you have to know there's nothing to hide. In first, or sorry, in Psalms 139, verses one through four, these are parts of those verses. Says this: "You search me and know me; you understand my thoughts from afar." You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. So, when we begin with the, re- the knowledge and recognizing that God already knows everything in your life, He already knows the sin in your life, He knows the sin you're about to commit, why is it that we try to hide from God? When intellectually, many of us understand that we probably can't hide from God, but do we ever come to Him fully authentic? as if we have nothing to hide, because he already knows it. So I would say our response to that is because we have nothing to hide, therefore let's confess, pray, and share these things with the Lord. He already knows it, but let's confess it to him. In your own private life, talk to God about your struggles. Talk about your sins. Acknowledge it. Call it out. God, you know I struggle with addiction. Could you just work in that, Lord? You know I struggle with lust, Lord. You know I struggle with materialism and wanting to buy and purchase more and more. And you know I struggle with bitterness in my heart. Or you know I struggle with anger. Bring that to the Lord. You have nothing to hide to have an unfiltered relationship with God. Therefore, let's be people who confess, who pray, who rest in that knowledge that God already knows. Let's let's give all these things to the Lord. It's interesting that the story of the very first people to sin, Adam and Eve, the very first thing that they do is they once were uh, naked and unashamed and they sinned. And when God then walks through the garden to find them, he's an all-knowing God. So he already knows where they are and what they've done. But he asks them two questions. First one is, where are you? Why are you hiding? Where are you? And they said, well, we're hiding from you. And The unedited version says, yeah, duh, I know that. (laughs) But then the next question he asks them is, why? What have you done? What have you done? He knows what they did. But there's something powerful in proclaiming it. There's something powerful in saying, okay, here's what happened. You know that fruit, that one thing you told us that you didn't want us to eat? That only one thing? Yeah, we did it. We ate it. So let's be people who are willing to confess and share with the Lord. Uh, David actually writes in the Psalms, he says, When I kept silent about my sins, my bones wasted away inside. When we keep this stuff in and we try to hide, we're having an inauthentic relationship with God, it, it just eats away. So that to have an unfiltered life with God, let's begin with there's nothing to hide. Let's let him know about what he already knows. Let's just disclaim it. As we go on, what's the next part of an unfiltered life with God? It's this, that you also, you have nothing to prove. There's nothing that you can do to prove to God that you can be worthy for him. You have nothing to prove. You can't earn back his grace. You can't earn his love. You can't earn his forgiveness. You don't have to prove that it's okay for him to forgive you. So you have nothing to prove. Look at 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Paul's writing about that veil that's in our hearts, and he says, But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The filter in your life that separates you from an authentic relation with God is taken away in Christ. You have nothing to prove. Do you know that there's no sin in your life, and there's nothing that you are about to do or have done or anything that's going to happen in your life that hasn't already been taken care of on the cross by Jesus Christ? It's already covered. It's already done. You can't prove it. You can't say to God, well, let me just make it up to you. Now, a lot of you are part of Seacoast. You come weekly. You're here all the time. You've heard this before. You might be saying, Ryan, you hear this all the time. We want to be reminded of this truth all the time because here's the subtle ways that we make our lives with him transactional. If your prayer life ever sounds like this, God, I'm so sorry for what I just did. Would you please forgive me? I'm not going to do that anymore. I, I promise that this is, this is going to be not a part of my life again. You know what you're doing? You're having a transactional relationship with God. You're saying, if you just forgive me this time, okay, then I'll perform. I'll behave. I'll prove it to you that I can be your child. We don't have anything to prove. Therefore, how should we respond? Let's practice gratitude to the Lord. Let's rest in his grace. Our prayers should sound like this. Lord, you know my struggle. You know I've been wrestling with this. You know that this is a part of my life. Thank you so much that what you did on the cross covers my sins. Thank you so much that there's, I can't out-sin your grace. Thank you that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, so therefore that's how far you've thrown my sins. Thank you, God, that you are so good and it is all because of you. See, the prayer is very different. You're still confessing, but you aren't trying to prove anything to God because it's on him, not on you. And that's an authentic relationship with him. Now, what does this lead to for us being people who are set free there with our relationship with God? How does that affect our lives with others? How do we have an unfiltered life with other people? That's what we want to look at here now. What does it look like to have an unfiltered life with others? And before we even get to that, let me just say, we're talking about... Authenticity that leads to intimacy. Now, we're not saying you need to be fully transparent, fully authentic with every single person you see. I'm also not asking you to use social media to be that place where you share all. Okay? Some of you share all on social media. There's a very, it's a very fine line between being uh, uh, authentic and looking for attention, right? So there's some people who use it to, to oh, my life is so miserable. How many people are going to comment? You know, it, this is not the place to find authenticity uh, when you share like that. And uh, we're not asking you to have intimate relationships with 50 people. It's probably impossible. But we're, how do we move to becoming people who are fully known and who are known? How do we be people who move from that place of authenticity to having true intimate relationships with others, which is at the core of our need of who we are? So that's what we're talking about. And there's different, you have to have wisdom on what those circles of intimacy look like. They get, you know, as the, the crowd gets bigger, you don't need to share as much. Now, here's one thing. You can always be truthful, but you don't always have to share everything that is true. You get it? So we want to always be truthful, but you don't have to always share everything that is true with everyone. But you need to have people with whom you do. So what does unfiltered life with others look like? Uh, The first thought is this, that an unfiltered life with others is starting with the knowledge that there is nothing to fear. See, I believe authenticity is hindered when we fear how other people respond when they know certain things about you. Authenticity is hindered when we have a fear about how is this person going to respond if they know this to be true. But we have nothing to fear. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the very next verse, verse 17. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Not where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is fear. Not where the spirit of the Lord is. You better watch everything, who you are, be very careful. No, there is freedom. As we were talking as a teaching team this week, we kind of realized that in Christ, get this, you are free to live any way you want to live. Oh, some of you got uncomfortable with that. In Christ, you are free to live any way you want to live. And I believe that to be true. Now, some of you, your radars are going off and you're saying like, seriously? You're giving me, I can? Let me me ask you this. Where the spirit of the Lord is in the New Testament, the spirit of the Lord, for those who give your lives to Christ, it's described as the spirit of the Lord is in you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the presence of God is in us and with us. So there's freedom in us to live any way you want. How many of you, when you, or walking with Jesus, we all sin. We all struggle. How many of you woke up today and said, you know what I'd love to do today? I'd love to sin. That sounds great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find some things to, I'm gonna find some sins today. I, I, I don't, I've never woken up and just said like, God, you know, thank you for the morning. Uh, I'm gonna sin today. <laughs> See, because with the Spirit of God in us, I, I don't want to sin. My guess is most of you, that's not the desire of your heart. Most of you, now our flesh loves sin. We're prone to wander as we sang. We, we are kind of given in to temptation. Sometimes it feels great, but in the desire of our heart, that's not there. Because when we're the Spirit of the Lord is with us. There's freedom. And, and it's actually not a scary thing to say you can do whatever you want because we don't want sin ultimately when we're walking with the Spirit, when the Spirit is moving in us. So we have no need to fear. We actually have freedom. I remember when I was in seminary, I was in... Uh, a theology class, which are really captivating, very exciting. Uh, You should someday experience it yourself. But I was in a a theology class in seminary, and there's a group of students. we, We had a lot of classes together, and there was one student who, this kid was brilliant. He was so smart. When he spoke, there's times he would say stuff, and I just would listen to him like, I have no idea what you said, but I know it's super smart. Like, you're... Like, you're, you're so smart, nobody knows what you're talking about. It was, it was one of those guys. Some of you are that person. So um, that, that's who he was. But he had something else going for him. And that was, he was a little socially awkward. In fact, pretty socially awkward. And he also uh, was kind of struggled with hygiene. Let me just say, per, personal hygiene wasn't high on his list. And there's just something that I was always a little uncomfortable with him. And, and I don't really know why. I didn't know him well. He was in a few classes. But I remember one day, it was the first day of a new class, new semester. He was in the class with me. And for the sake of the story, let's just say his name was Ryan. So here's, here's Ryan, the socially awkward one in, in, in my uh, theology class. And another friend walked in, and this guy was like the opposite uh, and, and physical. He was tall. He was strong. He was articulate. He was like, you know, the high school football uh, star quarterback. He, he had, you know, every, prom king, everything going on for him. He also was very smart, great stu- uh, friend. He walked into class, and this is first day of class, and he saw Ryan. And I remember he said, Ryan, how are you? He walks over to him. He reaches his giant arms out gives him a big hug and pulls him in and embraces him. I remember watching that and I was sitting there right next to them and thinking, I don't know if I could do what he just did. I don't know if I could express love for Ryan the way that Scott just did. And, and, And it was this moment where I had to just kind of think of like, why does that make me uncomfortable? What is it in me? What was the fear Now, I didn't have the same relationship with Ryan, so that would have maybe been super awkward for everybody. (laughs) But the truth is, I was thinking about it. I don't know if I could have done that at that time. And there was some fear at work in me that was under the surface. And if you ask me, do you fear what your classmates think of you? In a seminary where you're learning about Jesus, you fear about what it would look like to love somebody? (laughs) No, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But something in there didn't allow me the freedom to express love the way Scott did there. I had to kind of work through that. How many of you have those kind of hindrances or those fears that pop up maybe in your marriage? Maybe you're afraid to fully and lavishly love your spouse because you wonder if it's going to be returned. You wonder if maybe you're gonna, uh, they're not going to receive it the way. Maybe they're going to think that you have false motives or maybe you're going to feel like, what if they reject my love? In other relationships. Maybe you're afraid to fully forgive because what if that person still takes advantage of me? See, but in Christ we have no need to fear because ultimately... When we have this free, when the Spirit's moving in us and we are transformed by who He is, our, our worth and our identity isn't changed in those moments. We can lavishly and freely love, even if we're the only one standing there, there's this freedom to say, wait, this doesn't change the fact that I'm a child of God and who I'm, who I'm called to be is to love my wife, to, to care for the people around me, even if it's not given back. Because this is who I am. It's not about what I've done. It's this new identity that's being spoken into me. So what are the fears in your life that you need to be set free with? What are those relationships? Where are the veils that you put up where you say, I'm not sure if I want this person to fully see me. Let me put a filter on this relationship. What is the fear that you need to kind of work through? in there. And by the way, this applies to others knowing your weaknesses, not this those good things. A lot of you would say like, well, I have no fear to let someone see how godly I am. That's awesome. But what about the weaknesses in your life? What about the things in your life that you don't necessarily want other people to see? Are you afraid of someone knowing your struggles? Are you afraid of someone knowing that you're not perfect you know, it's another thing in, in marriage. Uh, I, I've heard it happen um, when there's, you know, sometimes in that where <laughs> couples have conflict. And, uh, and, and a lot of the couples that I've talked with a lot of them, it's almost the same thing, just different subjects. You know, we all have basically the same struggles. And it's, can I be accepted? You know, am I going to be loved? Is there security? Is there safety in this relationship? But one thing that often pops up, and, and this happened one time ever in our 22 years of marriage, but... Um, <laughs> No, but you can know your weaknesses, right? And, and I know my weaknesses, and I know my wife knows my weaknesses, and, and that's fine as long as I can claim them. And it's like this is, but even like a couple weeks ago, I or last week, I was painting some fence boards. Not a big deal, but I don't like painting. I hate painting. And these were outdoor ones, so I didn't have to put a tarp down or anything. I could go fast and I could just get it done. I could make a mess. And then um, my wife came out. She was going to finish it. She's like, "Well, where's the drop cloth?" I'm like, "Well, I don't really use a drop cloth." And and, and she goes, "Well." Where, you know, and all these things that basically I know that I wasn't doing the right way, but it was the way I do it. And, but, so as soon as she calls something out like that, and she she did it in a very nice way, she goes, honey, you know, I love you so much. And, (laughs) and it's, you know, we, I, we both know it's, no, actually she was very good. But uh, on one of those where it's, hey, you know, you just, this isn't one of your strengths. Like you don't really care about the details, which is true. I know it's true. If you ask me, I'll tell you it's true. But I don't always like it when someone else knows it's true, even though it's true. Isn't it weird how all of a sudden, as soon as someone recognizes something you know to be true, that's a weakness, there's something that wells up inside of you. And it's only happened in our marriage, none of yours or any of your other relationships. When they call it out, what is it that all of a sudden bubbles up that I feel defensive? Why is it when she recognizes something that's a weakness of mine. Does that make me feel defensive? Ultimately, there's a fear there. Well, what if she doesn't think I'm perfect? And then if I'm not perfect, what if someone else is perfect? And what if, what if you know, and, and all of a sudden we have all these irrational things. Now, you don't sit there and think through all of that. All you think is like, I know I'm not good at this, you know. Well, you're not good at. I wouldn't do that. So <laughs> you guys are all waiting like, what is she not good at? I'm not stupid, okay? (laughs) But these irrational fears pop up, and it's rooted in, what if she really knows, really knows me? Will I still be accepted? And now we've been married long enough to where we've really grown in that, and that's less and less of an issue, but it still comes up, right? What is it in your life when you find those fears? When you know fears pop up and it's, how will I be accepted? What will someone think? What will it be in my workplace if they find out I'm a Christian? What if I don't want to do what everyone else is doing because that's not the spirit of God in me? How are my, what's my friend group going to look like? Well, I'm a single person. What if my relationships look different than everyone else because I'm a single person trying to honor the Lord? Will I be rejected? Will I never have that love? We have all these fears that pop up, but we have nothing to prove or nothing to fear, sorry, in that life with Christ. We're given freedom to fully be his, to be known. It doesn't change who you are as a child of God. And what you'll actually find is when we are truly authentic, when we are known and we allow people to know us, we actually have real intimacy in those relationships. And when you keep the filters, you're, there's a barrier between going deeper and deeper. So you have nothing to fear the, the last thing is this and you filter with others. You have nothing to protect. There's nothing to protect. You don't have to protect your, your, your reputation and your relationship with others. You don't have to worry about, what if they reject me with this? What if, and this is definitely related to the first one, but you have nothing to protect. It is solid in Christ Jesus. All you have is secure in who Jesus is in your life. You don't have to protect this. I often talk to you about what it's like to be a public speaker, especially in a church, where week after week we get to say things. You know, there are times when some of you don't like what I say. There are times when some of you say, and some of you, nicely, will come up to me and say, you know, I would have said it differently. (laughs) On display all the time. It is very hard not to walk away and think, oh man, I wonder if, I, I wonder if I'm cut, you, you know, cutting it for this church or I wonder if they're gonna go check out another church and see a better speaker or, or a funnier person or whatever it is you have. And, and then God always brings me back to Ryan, be who you are who I've called you to be. Be authentic and transformed by the spirit of God in you. You don't have to fight for who you are. I will give you all you need in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the very next verse says this, but we with unveiled faces, we're unfiltered. We behold as if in a mirror the glory of the Lord. You know what this says? This is essentially saying when we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, we're beholding the glory of God, the image of God in you as followers of Jesus. You are the image of God. When you wake up in the morning tomorrow, I want you to look in the mirror and say, wow, look at the image of God. <laughs> Honey, come in here, the image of God. <laughs> I've said that, she usually says, yeah, not a (laughs) quiet (laughs) man. Beholding as if in the mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image in ever increasing glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more we are are in Him, the more our lives are transformed more and more and more into His image. We have nothing to protect. Let the Spirit of God do the work in you and transform you and change you and know that you might be further down the road than the person next to you. They may be further down the road than you. That's not, your business, that's not their business or where you are or your business where they are. God is working in us and transforming us. We don't have to protect our image and our reputation. Let God do the work with that. So this morning, if you're not feeling free or those times when something pops up, that fear or the lack of freedom, you need to do the work to go deep enough to say, what's actually at play here? What is actually at work? What am I not believing about Jesus in this moment? What am I not believing about this identity in my life? What do I need God to do the work in me about? So as the end, I just want to ask, what is the response? How do we respond to this? If we're people who are being authentic and unfiltered in our lives with God, and we want to be people who have unfiltered relationships and uh, authentic relationships with others that lead to the intimacy that we need, how do we respond to this? And this is, we want to respond by being people who as we're being transformed into glory, we're more and more, we're life-giving. We're transformed by the spirit. We're no longer slaves to our former life. We're no longer that old self that has been done away with in Christ. And we remind ourselves every day, we do the hard work. Matt, Matt likes to call it the gospel math. We, we kind of look at those moments and we remind ourselves of the truth of what does the truth about Jesus mean and transform? How, how is that speaking into your moment? What is it you're believing about your past that needs to go away? So as we respond, we wanna be people who start with our unfiltered life with God and then find some people where you can have that unfiltered life with them. Remind yourselves of the truth of Jesus. Remind yourselves of your identity and to know that in Christ, you are everything that he wants you to be. You're sons and daughters of God that cannot be taken away. You're his precious beloved children. You are who he wants you to be and he'll transform you and he's going to use you to transfer lives of others. Let's live lives open before him. Authentic, unfiltered lives before the Lord. Let's stand with me and pray as we sing one final song. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that in Christ, the veil the filter that kept us from fully knowing you and being known was taken away. And I thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is in us, there's freedom. That we don't have to live as slaves to identity, slaves to someone else's expectations, slaves to performance, God, that we are free in you. So help us this morning to fully understand that. Help us to fully grasp that. Help us to be transformed by that truth, Lord, and to be people who are known and who know others, who love as you've loved because of what you've done in us. So remind us of this truth as we sing it to you, Lord. And I speak freedom over this place, Lord. Set us free in this place this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen.